Today we start week two of our Advent sermon series. Now, last week we started off uh, talking about hope, and I want to encourage you in this journey that if you didn't get uh, to be a part of the sermon last week, either in person or online, I want to encourage you to go back and listen and be a part of that because it's really important in the journey of the sermon series to kind of continue the conversation and understand uh, where we're at in the conversation. And um, Advent... I realized, I forgot to mention this last week, is new for a lot of you. Even though you grew up in the church, Advent was maybe not something that your church actually participated in or or actually talked about. And it's actually a really important uh, fabric of the church in understanding Jesus, understanding how he came and how he came and and when he came. And the reality is is that Advent, uh, the word for Advent means arrival. Everybody say arrival this morning. Arrival, And it's about the story of the journey of, of how Jesus came to be, how he came, and the arri- his arrival. But the reality is, is that his arrival, even though he came born 2,000 years ago, he's still showing up in people's lives today. And he wants to show up in your life today. But it's going to require you to maybe do things that you, you don't normally do. And what we call that is, is, is preparation. Now for me, the natural reality for me in this season is to actually not prepare to experience Jesus. And here's the reason why. As I get caught up in all the other stuff that's going on and it gets busier and busier and busier. There is a reason why we do the Life for Kids or the Real Life Ministries Volunteer Christmas Party the first Friday in December because if we do it any of the other Fridays, no one would show up because y'all are busy during this time of season. I'm busy, you're busy, we're all really busy. And what happens is we get caught up into that busyness and we actually miss Jesus in the midst of why we actually do Christmas. Preparation requires me to actually add another layer of intentionality. And being intentional with my time, with my thoughts, with my actions, all that, it requires more attention, which is what Jesus wants us for us this Advent season. But oftentimes, I don't do that. Just to give you an idea, I'm a parent. I've got an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, an almost 6-year-old, and we're already behind on the Advent calendar already. Anybody else, parents? Okay, I'm with you. You are my people. It's going to be okay. We're going to get caught up tonight, okay? But I'm already behind because other things creep in and take over the time. This Advent season, are you getting ready for Jesus to arrive in your life? Because that's what Advent is all about. Making room for Jesus and preparing for his arrival because he's gonna show up in your life this Christmas if you're willing to put in the preparation. And if you're not willing to put in the preparation, what's, this is what's gonna happen. When I don't have intentionality being lived out in my life, I don't have the bandwidth to say yes to everything. And so I start saying no to things. And Jesus is inviting you this Christmas. Would you be willing to say to no to other things so you can say yes to me? So you can say yes to me. Today's topic is the topic of faith. And faith is very much tied to what we talked about last year. What was the, or last week. What was the theme last week? Hope. Hope and faith are like Cousins, They're like woven together. And sometimes we kind of mix those two together. But we're going to be talking about faith today. And next week we'll be talking about joy. 
and then peace, and then the love of Christ. But I want to ask you this question, and I'm, it's a question that you naturally, in your instinct, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're going to say, well, of course. Well, of course. But I want you to really reflect on it and really stew on it a little bit. And this is the question. Do you really want to be used by God? Do you really want to be used by God? And the Advent story is an opportunity for us to see how others have gone before us and how they wanted to be used by God. Like I said last week, Advent enters into this time where God said, I'm going to release a famine, and it's not going to be a famine of food or water. It's going to be a famine of my words. And he says specifically, there's going to come a time when silence is coming. You are not going to hear from me. And not only does God say that through the prophets, he also says that there will come a time where Jesus comes. And it's the last book of the Old Testament where we see in Micah, God says, there's going to become one that comes from within you. And he's going to come from a certain city. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. We just saw it on the screen. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, you you are a small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for, for me one who will be ruler over Israel and whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This is a prophecy spoken before Jesus was born that he would come and he would come from Bethlehem. What is the path look like to Bethlehem? Well, we already know the path to Bethlehem is 400 years of silence, God not speaking to his people. In addition to that, empire after empire after empire is ruling and reigning over the Jews. And it is full, like I said last week, full of wars, discomfort, pain, loss. Where are you, God? Is what they're wrestling with. And then, the next set of the path. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of, of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Anybody been in church for a while? King Herod? Good dude? Bad dude? Bad dude. Tons of... I don't, know, I don't know what else to explain it as a terrorist activity amongst the Jewish people. You remember the story when he gets word that a new king has arrived, that Jesus has arrived. What does he do with every kid that's two years and younger? Kills him. There's a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also descendant of Aaron. This is what I want you to uh, underline, verse 6. You got your Bibles, underline that. You got your Bible app open, highlight that. Verse six, this is important. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Everybody say blamelessly this morning. These are righteous people. They did everything right. And God looked at them in favor. Verse seven, but, but they were childless, because Elizabeth 
was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. A lot of stuff going on here. But there's some very specific things that Luke puts in here that are really, really important. I love how my friend Aaron Couch puts it. He says, God doesn't waste a breath with the text. He doesn't waste a breath. It's important to notice that he talks about how they were righteous in the sight of God, followed the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless. In the first century, this is how it rolled when it comes to how people viewed your life. If things were going bad in your life, then God must be, does anyone know? God must be what? He's punishing you. He's angry with you. You've messed up and you've, you've received your punishment, which is not very different than how it works in our society and how we think about it too. No doubt there's pain that we cause. We talked about this last week. Pain that we cause ourselves. There's uh, things that we don't cause that are external things that take place. But they believed if God was, if your life was not going well, God must be upset with you. Now, if things were going good, then God must be happy, blessing you for how you're living your life. Now, there was a little bit of a caveat to that. Uh, Jonah is a perfect example of the text where they realize tough things happened in order to bring about growth and maturity in Jonah and for the glory of God. There are things that people go, well, yeah. But for the most part, culture believed if your life wasn't going well, it's your fault and God's upset with you. There were two things, though, that without a doubt, if anybody was like, well, maybe, maybe not, if there were two things that were non-negotiables, God is for sure upset with you under two conditions that take place in your life. The first one is this, if you get leprosy. If you get leprosy, you must have done something. And we see this play out even in the Gospels. Do you remember the, the boy that was blind and was brought to Jesus? And they asked Jesus this question, who was it that sinned? Why is this kid blind? Is it from his sin or his parents' sin? You see this, right? So if you've got leprosy, God's, God's upset. You've done something wrong. Number two, Barrenness, the inability to have children. God's upset. You've done something. And so we see Luke's writing and he's saying, listen, Zechariah, Elizabeth, they were, what's the word I had you repeat? They were what? Blameless. God looked at them and said, I am well pleased but they could not have children. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. They've lived their whole life wrestling with the reality that they can't have kids in a society that if you don't have kids, your name does not move forward, your family doesn't move forward, your lineage doesn't move forward. Family doesn't move forward if you don't have children. And not only that, the reality of that, in addition, I want you to think about what the community thought, what they whispered, what they said, how they looked at them. 
Zachariah, like, I can tell on the surface, like, you are a devoted man. Like, you do all the right things. Like, you're better at me than being faithful. But come on, man, what is the thing? What is it? Tell me. Why can't you have kids? What'd you do? I've done nothing. Okay. The questions, the comments, the way they looked at you, over and over again, week after week, month after month, year after year, and Zechariah in his quiet time with the Lord, Lord, why can't I have kids? Why can't my wife not have children? We serve faithfully, Lord. Where are you? Do you want to be used by God? Look what happens in the story. Verse eight, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the front on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Uh, any of you guys have been a part of church for a while, you know this. If you're new to church, here's the thing. We see angels as like, you know, these angelic beings that are soft and cuddly, kind of like puppies, right? Like puppies, like, oh, it's an angel, right? No, 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 no. In the Bible, when an angel shows up, everyone's freaking out. They're afraid because they're like powerful warrior beings. Kind of like a guardian angel, right? Like warriors, and Zechariah is full of fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. John the who? John the? You're going to have a son. And the text says that they just weren't old. They were very old. <laughs> thanks, Luke. Zechariah's like, thanks, man. Appreciate that. Your prayer has been heard. How many times did Zechariah pray that prayer? Hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. Now, I don't, I don't know what's going on in his head and his heart. Probably a whole lot of stuff. Probably like, yes, praise God. But God, why did you take so long? Now, when I'm old, my mom and dad and my, my in-laws, they're always like, when they watch our kids, they're like, I couldn't do this all over again. Like, these kids are just way too much energy. So they're like, seriously? Like, now when I'm old? Now? Why? I mean, what took you so long? Do I have to go through all of that to experience this Now? We know he was wrestling with the truth of the matter because we know later in the story he's like asking lots of questions and not believing the truth. And the angel and the Lord's like, hey, if you don't believe it, like you're just gonna be quiet for the first five months of the pregnancy. And he's silent, he's mute, he can't even talk. Goes back home, can't talk. If there's any, anybody in the Advent story that should be asking questions and maybe even a little bit upset and struggling with the reality of the situation, it'd be Zechariah, it'd be Elizabeth. Are you kidding me, God? Now? Do you really want to be used by God? 
Verse 14, he will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will, be a, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared there it is, prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist is the one that is invited to lay out the runway, to lay out the freeway for Jesus and his kingdom to come and dwell here on earth. Zechariah and Elizabeth walked a hard road And in the midst of walking in that hard road, they were granted along with their son something that no other human being has ever been invited into to usher in Jesus and his kingdom and his ministry. Do you want to be used by God? What about Mary and Joseph? Let's talk about Mary and Joseph. Matthew chapter one, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Okay, marriage. They're engaged. What does that mean? A little bit different than our culture and our society. When you got engaged, the engagement and the ceremony was together. But you didn't then leave that night and consummate the marriage. You'd have the ceremony and then you would leave. And the husband, future husband, would then say to the bride, I am going away to prepare a place for you with many rooms. Does that sound familiar in the Gospels? When Jesus has that conversation with his disciples, not only is he talking about the future, and yes, I think kingdom and eternity and all that, but what he's also saying is, I'm asking you as a disciple to come into covenant relationship with me. And so the, the husband would then leave and go to his father's house. I am going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And he would go there and he would build out the home either this way or up and create a home for you, for the wife, for the family. And then after weeks and months, he would go back to the bride and take her into the father's house, into his house, into his family's house, and they would consummate the marriage. And so it's in this moment, in this waiting, that Joseph and Mary get wind, word, that she is pregnant and pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Right. Mary, you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It don't work like that. You know better. How could you? You've brought shame upon our family. You've brought shame upon your sisters and your brothers and my name. Once you think about the comments that were said to Mary all through the pregnancy. I want you to think about the looks that people gave her. I want you to think about Joseph. 
Joseph culturally had every single right within him to bring Mary out into the public. And Deuteronomy says that she should be stoned to death. That the town council would come and say, Joseph, what are your accusations? This is what this woman's done. And the community would actually come in the marketplace and shame her and mock her and ridicule her. Joseph had every right to go and do that. In addition to that, the family then had a choice. The family could then say, let's bring Mary in. Let's love her. Let's walk beside her. Because here's the thing. Your family takes care of you financially until you're married, and it's the husband's job. So Mary would be out on her own if her family didn't welcome her in. But most of the time, the family would say, how could you? And they would join in the shaming. They would join in the mocking. And most of the time, when a woman became an adulterous woman, they lived an adulterous life the rest of their life because it's the only way they could actually support themselves. Because nobody wanted to do anything with them, and the community rejected them. Joseph had every right to live this out, and he didn't. Why? Verse 20. After he had considered this, to divorce her quietly... To not mock her, shame her, bring her out in the public. He's like, you know what? I'm just gonna move along. I, wanna, I love Mary, but I can't, I can't do this. I'm just gonna hope for the best. After he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him, what's, they will call him what? Manuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage. You notice that? He went and got her, brought her in to the home. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son and he gave him the name Jesus. Zachariah and Elizabeth walked a hard road. Mary and Joseph walked a hard road. But they were granted something that nobody else nobody else had ever been invited into. Do you want to be used by God? From what I can tell in the Advent story, what I can tell in all through Scripture, if you want to be used by God, it's probably going to be really, really, really hard sometimes. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. We should be surprised by that. I talked about this last week, that hope, hope begins when we're willing to look what? I heard it back. Thanks, babe. Hope begins when we're willing to look back and when we're willing to ask the question, where was God? Where are you, God? And God, if we're willing to do that, will remind us, I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here. And now you are in the midst of the desert, silence, darkness, and I'm still here. Even though you don't feel like I'm here. And when we're willing to look back, 
and find hope, we then have the ability to move forward into the future. Now, this is what faith is. Faith and hope are connected in the sense that faith allows us to look forward into the future. It propels us into the future and allows us to walk faithfully because God has been faithful to me, therefore I will walk faithfully with him no matter how tough, how steep, how nasty, how narrow the trail, the path goes. I walk faithfully like Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and Elizabeth. They all walked faithfully in the midst of great difficulty. And for those of you guys who are older, you're like, oh yeah, I know, because I used to walk uphill and downhill from school in three feet of snow. That's what I used to do. So if I do it, you need to do it. Amen? Okay, maybe not. All right. But faith, walking by faith, is going to be difficult. Is there tremendous blessings that come? Absolutely. Is there tremendous joy that comes? Absolutely. Are there times where it is really, really difficult? Yeah. And if you find yourself in this season, you're in good company with Zachariah and Elizabeth, with Mary and Joseph. As we go on through the story, we're going to find out it actually doesn't get easier. It actually gets harder as the story moves on. But they walked with faith. Faith begins when we open ourselves up to the possibility that maybe tomorrow can be better to, to, than today. That tomorrow can be better than today. And that the path of faith has been set before us. That we would be a people that walk faithfully no matter the outcome. That we would be surrendered to the trust of Jesus, of Lord and Savior in every aspect of our life. No matter what path is set before. No matter how hard it gets, rocky it gets. We choose to continue to hope for a greater tomorrow and a greater future. Walking faithfully. Faith is not just an intellectual decision that, yep, God is real. I believe in God. Yes, that's the start of it. But from that moment forward, when you choose to follow Jesus and make him Lord of your life, what you're choosing is that every single second, every single minute, every single hour, you're doing your best to trust him at his word, walking by faith every day, even in the most difficult situations. This is how they lived. This is what God is inviting us into. To walk faithfully no matter how difficult it gets. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not yet see. I don't know what's on the other side, but I'm gonna step into faith and trust what God has. This is what the ancients were commended for. And faithfulness is the reality that hope actually lies deep within because when hope actually lies deep within, within our very being, that's what enables us to actually take steps of faith. That God is telling the truth about himself and about his word and about what he sees about you. So I don't know about you. Uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, oftentimes, 
is one of the hardest seasons and moments because you're getting together with your family. Anybody else got all sorts of stuff going on below the surface with family during Thanksgiving and Christmas? Am I the only one? Okay, yeah. It looks good on the surface, right? Looks real good. And then you've got all, if you really knew the story, here's what's going on, right? Now, my family, I've been encouraged because we're growing with the Lord and we've grown a lot. But this Christmas season, I'm just gonna be really transparent with you guys. Um, it's still hard. <laughs> it's been 19 years since my mom and dad split. And then six years later, they ultimately divorced. There are moments when I go, Lord, I want this just to be done. I want it all to be perfect. I want it all to be whole. I want it all to be full of peace and joy. I want the pain to be gone. And there's more of that today than there was 19 years ago. But the path, it's been hard. And for some of you, you came from families that are pretty whole. You're like, I didn't really experience a whole lot. There are some of you that you're like, oh, let me just tell you. But I want to tell you that in the midst of all of that, here's what Jesus is bringing forth this Advent in my family. Me and Allie decided seven years ago that when our kids turn four, that when we have birthday parties, we're not just going to do the normal birthday party. Yes, we're going to have cake, we're going to have ice cream, uh, we're going to have presents, we're going to have all that. But before we get to all that, we're going to invite whoever's birthday, whoever's child's birthday it is, we're going to put them in the center of the room and we're going to invite all of his family and friends to speak blessing over my son or my daughter. And let me tell you, it was super awkward to start. So I come from a family that doesn't speak blessing over one another, more like cursing over one another, right? And it was awkward and good. And over time, the parents, the adults, um, the aunts, the uncles, they're like, we should do that because that feels good to speak blessing over someone else and I kind of would like to receive some blessing on my end, right? So the adults started doing that. And this last Sunday was my grandma's. We celebrated her 80th birthday. And we spoke blessing over her and prayed over her at the end. And something pretty amazing took place on that night. As her son's daughters spoke into her life, her grandkids, myself, my brother, my cousin spoke over her life. Her great-grandkids spoke over her life. There was a word 
that people began to say and share that had never been shared in my family other than me and my wife talking about what we want to do for our kids and Lord willing our grandkids and what we want to do them to experience and to understand and to own there's this word that began to be echoed not only from their hearts but even their lips they began to talk about legacy as a family And I sat there. Most of the time, I'm the one crying at family stuff. I just am, just like you kind of see up here. But in that moment, I was filled with so much joy. I just sat there and listened as my family spoke blessing over my grandma. And they began to have a vision as to what it is we're actually doing. We're helping create legacy about how God's made each of us and what he's calling us to and it was sweet. And guess what? There's still a bunch of chaos and hurt and healing that's still taking place and will continue to take place. But I want to tell you, the path has been hard. Anybody else relate this morning? Here's what we have to understand. Your faithful endurance may very well be what God uses to change the world. Your endurance, your faithfulness, your willingness to keep taking a step forward and fighting for Jesus in his kingdom, in his church, in your family, the spirit of God in your family, it's what has the ability to change the world. And I know, I know, every single one of you, because I feel it too, you want to see results now. You want to see hope now. But we may never see it on this side. But Jesus says that he will, he will bring it all under his authority and rule and reign, whether in this life or in the next life to come. Keep walking faithfully even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, because there's only one thing that satisfies. It's Jesus, his word, his spirit inside of us. So this Christmas season, would you be willing to walk faithfully, knowing very well that that is what God could use to change the world? And that's really, I just want you to think about that today as we get ready for communion. That it's your faithful endurance that may make a difference to your whole family tree being changed, your community being changed. Because you were willing to walk faithfully. Now here's the thing, I wanna tell you this. You go and stick your neck out and you try, you're probably gonna screw it up multiple times. And God redeems all of that. Let me tell you real quick this story. I remember when I went to Bible college there's nothing more dangerous than a three-month-old Bible college student because you know everything about the Bible already, all right? And my family was hurting. My family was broken. I was a year into my mom and dad being separated. We get together for Christmas, super awkward. And I knew it was gonna be awkward, but I was gonna save my family. I was gonna save my family because they needed Jesus. I was gonna tell them. I couldn't tell him because I know my family's pretty stubborn. I had to show him. I had to give him something. So I got him a present that Christmas. 
I got all three of them, my brother, my mom, my dad. I got them a present that they really needed. You know what that present was? A Bible. Man, that went over really well. I will never look, I will never forget their faces. I remember my brother, he opens up, he goes, a Bible. Thank you. They didn't want anything to do with that thing. But I was proud of myself. I was like, that's right. Bible. Because you need Jesus. Now here's what happened. God convicted me of my self-righteousness. He convicted me of my Pharisee mindset. And I'll never forget calling my brother and telling him, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? I've judged you, I haven't loved you, I haven't been there for you as your brother in the midst of a really hard season. Will you please forgive me? And he, he, he didn't wanna acknowledge it. Oh no, we're good, I don't know what you're talking about. We're fine. I said, well, I don't think we're fine and I'm sorry. And I started loving on him and calling him every single week. Hey, how you doing? Fine, why are you calling me? I was just seeing how you're doing. Well, I'm fine. Okay, you do anything this weekend? No, not really. All right. And I call him again next week. Hey, how you doing? I'm fine, why are you calling me? I'm just seeing how you're doing. I wanna have a relationship with you. Oh, well, I'm going fishing this weekend. You wanna come? Oh, I can't, but hit me up on the next time. I just asked him, how you doing? How you doing? I just loved him. I cared about him. And six months later, my brother started coming to church. And one day he got up out of his chair with all of his clothes on and got in the baptistry and got baptized into Jesus. And you know that Bible I bought him? It's all written up inside now. Highlights worn down Bible see even in my self-righteousness God redeemed it and he's going to do it in your life too if you're willing to walk faithfully you're going to screw it up but God will redeem it in this life or in the life to come so keep walking faithfully even when it's hard because God's going to use you to change your family your community he's going to use you to change the, the world so as we get ready to go to communion, I just wanna invite you to ask this question, Jesus, what are you saying to me? What, what is it you're saying to me? What do you need? What is your next step? This Advent, as you make room, as you prepare for his arrival, he's going to show up this Christmas in your life. What do you need to do to prepare for the King? Because he's coming. Let's pray.